Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Warning, the material in the reckoning is explicit and tough. Good afternoon. Welcome to this special edition of Seven. Breaking news. We're going to cross straight to Melbourne. One of the Vatican's most senior officials has been found guilty of child sex abuse in Australia. I'm David Maher, and this is The Reckoning. News that will send shockwaves throughout the Roman Catholic Church. At last, the news was out. George Pell had been found guilty of sexually abusing children. Four counts of performing an indecent act with a child under the age of 16 and one count of sexual penetration of a child. The boy from Ballarat who became a confidant of popes. No Australian flew high in the Catholic hierarchy or fell further than George Pell. This afternoon he's protesting his innocence and preparing to fight his conviction with an appeal already underway. A short time ago, Prime Minister Scott Morrison issued this statement. Like most Australians, I'm deeply shocked at the crimes of which George Pell has been convicted. It is the victims and their families I'm thinking of. Their prolonged pain and suffering will not have ended today. While due process continues, our justice system has affirmed no Australian is above the law. from this stage end up, uh, well, in the prison green sometime later on today. Once we knew the jury had found Pell guilty of these crimes, his barrister and the prosecution argued what the sentence should be. The chief judge of the county court, Peter Kidd, gave himself a fortnight to consider. My colleague at Guardian Australia, Mel Davey, was in the court when Kidd returned live-streamed to the world to impose sentence on Cardinal Pell. At about eight o'clock, the court opened and there was a rush of journalists and Pell supporters and advocates into the court. And slowly they began to gather outside the courtroom on level three. By the time the doors opened, just before 10, there was a mad rush to get seats. And inside the court, packed with journalists and interested parties, and outside the courtroom, a gathering of survivors watching and waiting for justice to be served. And then just before Kid opened the court, Pell was brought in. He was led to the dock and he was flanked by five police officers. He sat down, two police officers to his left, two to his right, one sitting behind him. And from the moment the chief judge began to speak, Pell looked straight at him, barely flinching. You may be uh, seated, Cardinal Pell. I think the sentence from the moment the kid opened his mouth It was apparent it was going to become a masterclass in delivering a sentence for a high-profile defendant. 
I am mindful that I am sentencing you within a unique context. And the way he set it up, I thought, was so clever. He addressed immediately the vitriol towards Pell. There has been extraordinary and widespread publicity and public comment which has surrounded you for a number of years. Indeed, it is fair to say that in some sections of the community, you are a publicly vilified figure. He addressed immediately the fact that there are many, many survivors and victims of abuse at the hands of the Catholic Church and made it clear that although they've had terrible experiences, this sentence was not directed at them. It was not for them and it was not for their abuses. You are to be punished only for the particular wrongdoing you have been convicted of on this indictment of sexually abusing two boys in the 1990s. As I directed the jury who convicted you in this trial, you are not to be made a scapegoat for any failings or perceived failings of the Catholic Church. And so it was almost clinical, all of that talk. And then, bang. I now turn to an assessment of the gravity of your offending. He started to tear apart Defence Barrister Robert Richter's sentencing arguments one by one. I reject the submission of your counsel that the offending in the first episode or the sexual penetration offence was at or towards the lower end of the spectrum of seriousness. In my view, it does not even approach low-end offending. As far as my opinion is concerned... It was so that any chances of appeal would be significantly lessened. That is, appeal on the length of the sentence. Everything, every box was ticked, every consideration was given. He made it clear that that he was being hard on Pell here, soft on Pell there. What was the key moment, do you think, in the sentencing? I now turn to my assessment of the contextual circumstances and in particular to the issues of breach of trust and abuse of power. Kidd said, The argument of your counsel that this offending was committed by you, George Pell, the man, and not by you, George Pell, the archbishop, must be roundly rejected. You were a pillar of St Patrick's community by virtue of your role as archbishop. The evidence shows that you were profoundly revered, Cardinal Pell, which imbued you with and legitimised your authority. During the first episode, when you found the victims in the pre-sacristy, you said words to the effect that you're in a lot of trouble. Your admonishment of the victims was an explicit expression of your authority over them. The victims were rebuked by you because they had breached a rule in their capacity as choir boys. The very pretext through which you committed this offending had to do with the strict discipline of the choir boys at the cathedral. And that stuck out to me because his status has been used all along as a reason why he's been made a scapegoat. The point that Kidd was making there is it's his status that allowed him to get away with it and allowed him to get away with it for so long. And I thought that point came up repeatedly throughout the sentencing. And Kidd's scorn at that part of his sentencing remarks, as he went through the excuses that had been delivered by Richter, Pell had finished Mass. He wasn't responsible for the choir boys. He was just a man. Sure, a man dressed as an archbishop and actually the archbishop and actually 
the man with the most prestige in St. Patrick's Cathedral on that morning, and the choir boys had the least power of anyone in the cathedral, the judge remarked. And he talked about the power imbalance between the two as being stark. And he made the point that power imbalances between adults and children are always amplified in an institutional setting. And it's this disparity of power that makes children particularly vulnerable. And it also deters them from bringing forward a complaint. The other thing that Kidd pointed out frequently and that really struck me was how often he called Pell arrogant. And I just thought that was quite incredible. The brazenness of your conduct is indicative of your sense of authority and power in relation to the victims. In the case of the first episode, you did not seek to secure the door of the priest's sacristy before you commenced the offending. You offended against two victims despite the fact that the door was unlocked and despite the risk that either victim could have run from the room or later complained. I think you did give thought or reflection to this offending and the only reasonable inference from the brazen circumstances of your offending is that you had a degree of confidence that the victims would not complain either immediately or by running out at some later stage. He also described with arrogant the argument from defence when they were arguing for a reduced sentence that, well, if the offending did occur, then Pell must have been overcome by some kind of irrational brain snap. He wasn't thinking straight. He wasn't right in the head for a few minutes. That's all it was. To the contrary, there is evidence that on the day of the first episode, you had successfully delivered Sunday Solemn Mass as Archbishop, this being a public role requiring discipline and focus. In relation to the first episode, you offended over a period of minutes where there was ample opportunity for you to uh, both reflect and to stop. You told the boys they were in trouble. You then started moving underneath your robes. You then exposed your penis. There was thus time for reflection even at the beginning of this offending. What then occurred was sustained offending. Your sexual abuse involved multiple different activities and actions. You moved from one victim to the other. Your dialogue with the two victims during the first episode was both purposeful and responsive. At several points in the judgment, Kidd made it clear that he was not second-guessing the jury, that his job in law was to punish according to the facts the jury had found. The only thing that Kidd can really weigh in on is what is before him in this particular court. Yes, the fact is he heard them, and of course, what none of us will ever see or hear, which is the full testimony of the victim. That oh, can we talk about that, David? Because for the first time, we heard new evidence about the complainant's testimony, which I found extraordinary. What emerged today that was new? Now, the judge referred to the complainant as J and to the other victim... The one who's since died. ...as R. He said, during the incident, J and R were crying and sobbing... J and R called out, but it was at a level of whimpering and whispering. 
At some point, you told JNR to be quiet because they were crying. R was squirming, struggling and flailing while this was occurring. J saw R's face. R was terrified. At that point, R said to you, can't you let us go? We didn't do anything. R also called out no and help. Cardinal Pell, would you please stand? The, the moment that the judge asked Cardinal Pell to stand, the entire room pivoted from staring at the chief judge to staring at the back of the courtroom because the dock is at the back. Pell is behind us all. And, you know, periodically throughout the sentencing, people would turn and have a look at Pell and see his reaction. And every time I looked at him, he was still just staring straight ahead, straight ahead at kid. But that moment when he was asked to stand, just imagine an entire courtroom turning to face the back of the room. All eyes were on him. Because the judge had been speaking by that time for a bit over an hour, hadn't he? Yes. But now the moment had come when Pell would learn how long this court wanted him to stay behind bars. All things considered, I impose the following sentences upon you. Uh, On charge one, being the indecent act... And then Kidd went through the maths for the first offence, which was forcing R's head down near his genitals. Pell was sentenced to two years and six months. The second offence, which is the base offence and the base sentence for forcing Jay's mouth onto his penis, Pell was sentenced to four years. What immediately followed then was compelling Jay to take his pants down and Pell touched his genitals and for that he was given two years and six months and at more or less the same time he was touching his own genitals and for that he was given a sentence of 15 months. And then for grabbing Jay in a corridor some weeks later and very briefly squeezing his genitals, Pell was sentenced to 18 months. Some of those sentences are to be served concurrently, some on their own. It's not a mathematical exercise. It's a balancing exercise, sentencing. That's what the judge said. Towards the end, Kidd once again said, look, there are elements of these offences which lead me to be more severe. Yes. And there are elements about Pell's life and age and all that he has gone through already that pull in the other direction to be more lenient. And as he said, this is not a simple business. This is an extremely difficult decision for the judge to reach. And in the end, that was his verdict, which was six years, but the right to apply for release after three years and eight months, by which time he'll be 81. You can be seated, thanks, Cardinal Pell. Did he, did he flinch? Did he show anything? After he stood and was sentenced, and before he was led away, he had to sit back down in the dock, and with a room full of eyes on him, 
sign the papers declaring him a registered sex offender before he was led away Pell bowed to the judge and then off he went for the Catholic Church to wake up to itself. That's what it's got to do now. That's the uh, headline of the day. Cardinal George Pell sentenced to six years in jail for five offences. Outside the uh, county court here in Melbourne where you can hear some cheers uh, from the victims of sexual abuse of the Catholic Church. as that. While the sentencing was being read out by Kidd, people were gathering outside and watching kids sentencing, which was of course being broadcast live, through the tiny video screens of the cameramen that had set up outside, some of them were crying and in tears. By the time we walked out, people were holding placards everywhere. And there was a moment when one abuse survivor and advocate yelled out three cheers for Victoria Police and the whole crowd roared. So this is all going on and we're all waiting for Dr Viv Waller who is the lawyer for the victim known as Jay. She came out and read a statement that had been prepared by Jay. It's hard for me to allow myself to feel the gravity of this moment. The, the moment, moment when, when the, the sentence, sentence is handed, handed down, down. The moment, the moment when, justice when justice is done. Is done. It is hard for me, for the time being, to take comfort in this outcome. I appreciate that the court has acknowledged what was inflicted upon me as a child. However, there is no rest for me. Everything is overshadowed by the forthcoming appeal. I am aware of a lot of public comment by people who are critical of my evidence. Regardless of the outcome of the appeal, a few facts will always, always remain. remain. I, I gave evidence, evidence for several days. I was cross-examined by Pell's defence counsel. A jury has unanimously accepted the truth of my evidence. The jury did not hear from Pell. He did not allow himself to be cross-examined. I have played my part the best I can. I took the difficult step of reporting to police about a high-profile person and I stood up to give my evidence... I am awaiting the outcome of the appeal like everybody else. My client doesn't wish to make any further comment at this time. Afterwards, I spoke to the father of R, the other victim who passed away when he was 30. And he described his son as a typical boy when he was a child. He said to me, he got into mischief, he was honest. My son was... He always, he liked helping his grandparents. He'd always disappear and you'd find him, you know, you'd ring up, I'd ring up my mum. Oh yeah, he's been here for the last two hours helping me cook, <laughs> things like that. Um, he loved coming to the football with me. We used to sit in the Southern Stands because I was an AFL member and behind us were some of the older women that used to sit there from Carlton. And he'd go off and buy them a, a, a bottle of water and he'd go off and get them things. 
and they every every week they'd come along with their little containers of lollies and cakes and things and they'd always be a cake there for my son and he said that he just wanted to give jay a hug because without jay he would never have known the truth about what his son had endured and it helped him come to understand why his son's life spiralled out of control, why he had issues with drugs, why he was displaying the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder before he died. He said to me, listening to the judge was hard. He said, I was angry inside. I felt like my son's life was wasted. Why was it wasted for some guys two minutes of pleasure? It's not easy to describe. It's not even easy to stand here and talk. It's stuff that destroys families and it destroys people. He described sitting in the court and listening to the sentence as extremely difficult. I watched him, Pell, walking out of that courtroom and I thought to myself, well, I'm going to sleep in my bed tonight. Where are you sleeping? But he also said to me, it's not going to bring my son back. I think, you know, as reporters... I, I go to pains to just stick to the facts of the case and you can't deny the fact after hearing a story like that that lives have been destroyed. Like, that's a fact. It's not comment. It's not speculation. It's not making Pell some kind of scapegoat to say that lives have been destroyed. I don't know how anyone could have spoken to that father and not have felt his pain. A lot of people who are really familiar with the kinds of sentences that child abusers are given, what are they saying about the sentence that Pearl got? I'm no expert in sentencing, but a lot of my contacts who have spoken to me about this were predicting something along the lines of five years, maybe two years non-parole. They're not saying that they think that this was in any way lenient. We haven't really heard a lot from the Vatican, have we, David? Well, nothing at all. The church hasn't commented. The church is saying that it's not going to comment until the appeal process is exhausted. Cardinal Pell maintains his innocence and has the right to defend himself until the last stage of appeal. What I find interesting is the upper echelons haven't commented, but wasn't it fascinating to watch the first Sunday masses occur throughout the country after... The suppression order lifted. Weren't they careful? Well, they were so mixed. You know, some parish priests came right out and said that the jurors had made a mistake and that the story didn't sound legitimate. The 
Archbishop of Sydney, Anthony Fisher, said that people shouldn't be too quick to judge Cardinal Pell. If we're too quick to judge, we can end up joining the demonisers or the apologists, those baying for blood or those in denial, he said. But he did tell people to remember that things are not always as they seem. And as they seemed at that point when he was delivering mass, Pell had been convicted on five counts of sexually abusing two children. It's not over, says Archbishop Fisher. Now, you compare that to the mass given in Ararat by Father Andrew Hayes. Ararat, the town not too far from Ballarat, where Pell spent his formative years and where abuse was running rife. And he said to his parishioners that he was ashamed and embarrassed by the actions of the church. He said that the church shouldn't look like an angry bull to be stared down. And that he said up front, our cardinal is in jail and he's been found guilty of disgraceful offences against children. And I'm so sorry for what this church has done to you. I am so sorry about this abuse by the clergy. What a difference to Fisher. What a difference to the silence from the Vatican. George Pell has been found guilty by a jury of his peers. But, but, I have serious misgivings about this verdict. I just can't accept it, based on what I consider is the overwhelming evidence of this trial. I found many of Richter's criticisms of the narrative very compelling. Anyone who knows how crowded and open is the sacristy at St Patrick's Cathedral after Sunday Mass must know the accusations are implausible. Immediately the suppression orders were lifted, a couple of weeks ago now. Immediately, the commentators were there attacking the crime as impossible. Let me just say it succinctly like this. Every argument that Bolt and Devine and Brennan and Craven and the likes have made for why it could not have happened are reasons that anyone who has sat through the Child Sexual Abuse Royal Commission know that it could have happened. That's what strikes me. The fact that he didn't come forward for years, the fact that they're using that to discredit his testimony. That is hallmark child sexual abuse. They take decades to come forward. It takes time. It just strikes me. That's what is so ludicrous about all of this. Every argument they're making against the complainant, they're actually arguments that talk to the pattern of childhood sexual abuse. They support his statements. They support his testimony. And... The fact that we have to say that shows that we have a lot of work to do before society understands the pervasive nature of childhood sexual abuse. Here are ten problems with that story. Yeah, Andrew Bolt came up with a few ideas for George Pell's defence. First, one of the boys, now dead, actually denied he'd been abused when his mother asked. This attack is meant to have happened straight after Mass. Which Robert Richter hadn't thought of. This attack allegedly happened in the cathedral sacristy, which is normally a very busy room. And his accuser says he parted these robes, but evidence given at the trial was that these vestments cannot be parted. How amazing. How amazing is Andrew Bolt? But none of the other choristers who gave evidence said they'd noticed them doing so. Someone give him a job as a defence barrister. Did he not think that every single one of those points did not come up in the five weeks 
The jury heard it all, all of those arguments that Bolt is making for why it couldn't have happened. The jurors heard it and they didn't just hear it in passing. They heard days of evidence about each point. The jurors saw the robes. They held the robes. The jurors went on a tour of the church. The jurors heard from people who said that the sacristy was not always busy. The jurors heard that the choir boys did run amok sometimes and they did fall out of line and that maybe they could have gotten away unnoticed. This was all evidence that was heard. And it is wrong to say that just because the complainant's account wasn't corroborated, that it was unsupported. His account was supported and it was supported by many, many witnesses that the jurors heard from over the course of five weeks. Why doesn't Bolt say that? Okay, so now what happens about the appeal? What are the grounds that Pell's lawyers have chosen to argue the appeal on? There's three grounds. Two of them look pretty flimsy. The key ground that they might have any chance of succeeding on is the unreasonable ground. And that is the argument that the jurors did not consider the evidence before them, that their decision was ultimately unreasonable. Now, it's not unheard of for an appeal to be successful on this ground. To predict whether it will be successful in this case um, is another question and I certainly wouldn't do it. Uh, Other than to say that this was not a rash decision by the jurors. They didn't make the decision after an hour and it was all over. Five weeks of evidence and nearly four days of deliberation. So that seems to be the ground that they will go hardest on. The other two grounds, one is that Pell's defence team is saying they should have been able to play a video animation to the jurors during the closing addresses. Now, the judge allowed a PowerPoint presentation during the closing address, but he stopped short of allowing a video animation. This video animation was described as like a Pac-Man kind of game in the way that it was set up. It basically was going to show the movements of people through the church and through the sacristy. Where would the choir boys be while Pell was here? Where would the altar service be, for example? The reason the judge didn't allow that is quite sound. No new evidence is allowed to be introduced during closing addresses. And the jurors might think that a video presentation was fact, was evidence. And for that reason, he didn't allow it. He had considered reasons for saying, no, the video will not be shown. The third ground is a fundamental irregularity ground that in the trial process, Pell was not given the opportunity to enter a not guilty plea in front of all of the potential jurors before impanelment. Now, this has something to do with the setup, the video link um, between Pell and the jurors who had gathered in a lower floor of the court below. There were too many of them initially before they whittled it down to 14. There were too many of them to fit them in the courtroom. I think this is a rather flimsy ground It's accepted in a courtroom 
and in modern day proceedings that a video link is the same as having someone there standing physically in front of you. And I just don't see this particular ground getting up. The appeal is going to be argued in early June. It'll take some weeks for the court to make up its mind after that. I don't think they'll be tarrying. They'll move as swiftly as they possibly can. And we will be back. The reckoning will return to discuss the ultimate verdict on the crimes of George Pell. You can back our work at The Guardian by searching for Support The Guardian and follow the links. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.